This episode of the 343 podcast is supported by Bounce Athletics. Bounce Athletics is offering you an additional 10% discount because they know that you are serious about high-quality soccer products if you are listening to this show. Training balls from Bounce Athletics can be customized with your logo and your color scheme and will only cost you about $15 to $20 per ball. And if you compare similar textured training balls from Nike, Adidas, or Select, those would be in the $50 to $60 range. Now, I've personally tested the balls from Bounce Athletics. They feel great. They look great. They roll great. They hold air, which is super important. They are legit, and I highly recommend them. To top everything off, Bounce Athletics will send you complimentary mock-ups of what your balls will look like with your logo on them. Just email your logo to info at Bounce Athletics to begin the order process. And remember to mention 343 so you get that additional 10% discount when you place your order. This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Nick Rizzo is the head women's soccer coach at Monmouth College. And I'm going to be honest with you. I have had to record that first line. This is now the fourth time because I cannot say Monmouth and then say the rest of what I need to say after that. So Nick is a women's soccer coach. He is also a part-time triathlete, a professional Googler, and an eternal optimist, according to his Twitter headline. And he is also the co-host of the Soccer Chat podcast, him and Coach Soderling are two great guys that are doing great work and connecting coaches across the United States. And I would have to imagine that they also have some global attention as well. I actually reached out to those guys to see if they would want to come on my podcast. They countered with, no, you come on our podcast. And so that's exactly how things went down. I went on theirs. Uh, I was a guest on their show a couple weeks ago. It was a great conversation. And then, uh, then, it was time for Nick to come on on this show. So that is where we are at now. Nick is full of energy. He's full of enthusiasm. He's full of passion. And I hope that that just radiates through your ears as you listen to him talk about something uh, that he just lives and breathes for, which is soccer. Uh, he has a number of years of experience coaching both boys and girls, men and women, and he loves to talk about soccer. So I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Nick Rizzo. You can find links to connect with Nick and to get connected to the soccer chat that happens once every week. He can talk uh, and give you more information about that specifically. I'm kind of new to that community, but I highly recommend checking that stuff out because I think it's really fun. I think it's a great way to interact with people. Uh, you'll hear the challenge that I give to Nick at the very end of this episode. So stay tuned for that. And if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy this episode, but if you enjoy the podcast in general, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. And you can help other people find the show by giving it a five-star rating or review wherever you're listening or just simply sharing it on social media. But the absolute best way to support the 343 podcast is by signing up for the 343 Premium Coaching Membership. What you get with that is an online program that provides you with the best coaching education for a fraction of the price of other licenses and courses that are out there. 
long before the, this podcast, the 343 podcast existed, I was actually a member of the 343 program. And I was able to learn things that added true value to my team and to my personal coaching education without getting confused or distracted or bogged down by excess information that didn't really matter. The 343 Premium Coaching Membership Program teaches you a proven possession-based methodology and allows you to study and learn from one of the best coaches in American soccer. And that education is delivered to you through videos of real games and real training sessions that help you learn the core activities so you can start coaching possession soccer yourself. You also get eBooks, audio lessons, recorded classroom presentations, and on-field clinics. And in addition to all of that, you also get online forums for networking and sharing ideas with other 343 members. So you have access to all of that 24-7 for the incredible price of $295. That's an incredible value. You can find all of the benefits and more information about the membership or just go ahead and sign up today by visiting 343coaching.com. That, once again, is 343coaching.com. All right, that's it for the intro. I hope that you are ready for this very spirited conversation with a very spirited person, uh, Coach Nick Rizzo. Nick, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, my man? Doing all right. You you always don't sound so energetic. Oh yeah, no, it's it's the coffee all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> our girls actually they tell me about that all the time. I have to when I do things like this, I actually have to like really slow down how I talk because I like I'll teach and I because I teach a few classes here and I talk so fast that I'll get through think like a class in like thirty five minutes. And then I'll have like 15 minutes of questions because people missed everything that I said. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, it's a normal everyday thing for you. Yes. No, it definitely, it doesn't, it doesn't stop. It's uh, it's, I, it's funny though. Cause like there's a book that I really identify with. It's called quiet in a world that won't stop talking. And it kind of talks about like it, one of the parts of it talks about extroverted introverts where like, I think I'm, naturally probably a little bit more introverted because when I go home for the day, like I don't want to talk to anyone. Uh, but like during the day, I definitely, I think anyone who's talked to me would probably consider me a more extroverted type person. Yeah. I've never, I've never met you in person, but I, I, I get that feeling just, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's funny. Um, all right. What do you want to talk about? Ah, God, ah, where, where can we start? Um, let me, let me, uh, let, let me kick it off with, with something because, uh, I noticed something when I was on your show, what was it last week or two or two weeks ago, um, that I've never, I've never really thought of before. And, and it's probably something that you would have a similar feeling about, but a lot of times you, you know, as a podcast host, I get to know other people and I help other people tell their stories. And then as I was telling my story on your show, I was like, well, shit, like my audience doesn't even know half the stuff that I just said to you guys. And they listen to yeah. me on a weekly basis. And and, and so I, I guess, uh, you know, a, a good place to start would be like, I want to know a little bit more about you and, and, and what you do, because you do a great job of hosting a, a show and, and divi- or, or diving into other people's stories. But I don't know how much of your story is actually out there. 
No, for sure. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I guess so for me, it all started, like I grew up, I've been in Chicago suburbs and around the Chicago area pretty much my entire life. I grew up in a suburb called Wheaton, Illinois, and my family still lives there. They've lived there for the last 28 years. And I, I did ev- like pretty much my entire life is kind of a, revolved around, I would say a three to five hour radius around Chicago. I, I did a little bit in Minnesota, went to college in Dubuque, Iowa, and then now I work in Monmouth, Illinois, which is about three hours from Chicago. But yeah, growing up, um, I, I like I obviously like anyone, I played a lot of soccer. I was probably a little bit more of an anomaly to I was probably more of a common soccer player back then than I think it is now where I played every sport that I could possibly play. Uh, up until eighth grade, I played football, soccer, volleyball, cross country in the fall, uh, basketball, soccer in the spring, in the winter. And then in the spring I did baseball, soccer, track and field. And so I was one of those people that I got really my hands in almost every single sport up until eighth grade. And then I got to high school and I almost played football to be honest. I, uh, I didn't, I didn't, I really liked football. I, like I was fairly athletic for a younger kid and I, the only reason I played soccer and it probably changed my life forever was I, my parents knew someone that I played club against and emailed my high school coach like as a freshman, they do summer league going in and she's like, Hey, like I know Jeff is playing with you guys. Would you mind if my son Nick came played? And you could tell he was really hesitant, uh, apparently in the conversation because you don't want eighth graders coming to play with uh, high school kids, one they could get hurt to, they probably aren't good enough. Um, but fortunately enough, he's like, yeah, we'll like let him come and we try. And I fortunately showed really well in that first time. And they he pretty much told my mom after the game that if I came and played soccer, I'd be on the varsity team as a freshman. And so I did that and I ended up being on the varsity team as a freshman. And that's why I chose soccer over football. And again, through high school, I played basketball and volleyball year round as well. But it was kind of club soccer was the thing that ultimately took over me because I never got bigger or faster. I got peaked as an eighth grader. And so soccer was like the one sport where <laughs> you don't have to be that fast. Like it's, it's beneficial, but um, I think that's one of the other things that we get wrong a lot in American soccer is if you're, if you're smart enough and you work hard enough and you, you, you're technical enough, you can, you can get away with not being like overly athletic. I wasn't unathletic by any means, but that's kind of how I got through high school. And then, um, when I got to, I was trying to figure out where to go to school. Um, I was that kid that like any kid is, I wanted to go play division one soccer. That was, that was every, a bunch of my friends had decided to do it. And that was something that at the time seemed really important to me. Um, I, I I got down to the sign between university of Wisconsin, green Bay, which is a mid major up in Wisconsin. And there, it wasn't the horizon league. I don't even know what's in anymore. Maybe it's still in there. Um, but and Loris College, which is a Division three school where I ended up going. And to be honest, like I, I knew I wasn't, I was one of the, I was also one of those rare kids who didn't, like who didn't believe I was a professional soccer player. I feel like every kid I talk to nowadays who's 17 years old thinks he's going to make it big. Um, and I wasn't one of those kids. I knew I, I knew I wanted to play, but I knew I wasn't going to play after college. And so I ended up picking the Division three school and it was probably the best decision of my life. I got into coaching my sophomore year there, one of the seniors on the team, uh, Matt Pucci, who's coaches at my own barn right now, Loris, coached a local high school team. And I think he just asked me to come along with him because I was that kid in practice. Like, I was the coach's dream. Like, if you asked me to go pick up the cones, like, you, like I would pick up 20. Like, I was just that kid. Like, I was a good little minion. So I think he thought he could boss me around a little bit, which was what he could do. Um, <laughs> and so I ended up doing that. He left. And I became a head high school coach when I was 20 years old. And knew I wanted to do that for the rest of my life and I started getting that's when I started getting all my different coaching licenses I I did my D I did my uh 
uh, now it's the not United Soccer Coaches. Um, that's what it's called now. And I did my national advanced national during that time and got a graduate assistant job at Aurora University. Did that for two years. Went up to St. Mary's when I was an assistant for the men and the women up there for two and a half years, three seasons. And then the job opened up down here at Monmouth College and as the head women's coach. And to be honest, I hadn't ever really like done a full women's job before. I had coached some uh, U15 girls club teams and I worked a little bit with the women up at St. Mary's, but it, it was the first time I really like went all in and coaching the women's game. And to be honest, I, I get asked this all the time. Like, would you ever go back to the men's game? And cause there's been a few jobs that have opened up around here that people have asked me to apply for. I'm like, no, like I, I love, I love coaching the women's game. I, I sincerely enjoy my job, my team, and I, I have no intention to go back to the men's game at that point. And I'd say that's a really, I don't know how long that took, but that's like a five minute story of my life. Yeah, five minutes is, is about right. We're at seven <laughs> seven fifteen for the total recording. I talked for a little bit, and then you talked for about five. Yeah, that's. that's I was good. a math major in college, so that was that's my that's my other thing. So I was. I don't know why you'd be a math major at a liberal arts college. Like that's the dumbest thing in history. But thanks, parents, for helping me out with that. Um, how how do you answer the question? What's the difference between coaching boys and girls? I'm sure I'm sure you've been asked that a hundred billion was, I, times. I, yeah, no, that, that was the funniest. I remember when I got my interview here at Monmouth, someone asked me, like, so they did this. It's the weirdest thing I've ever, I've never done this at another interview. They bring in every single coach, so like 20 something coaches in a classroom and they pepper you with questions for like 45 minutes. And I think a lot of them are like staged questions, to be honest. I think a lot of them they have sheet on their sheet of paper, but at one, I think I, he's my friend now, but he, he deviated and asked me that question. I'm like, dude, what the heck, man? Like, that's not, that's not a layup question. Out. Like there's women's coaches in here. There's men's coaching. I feel like there's no easy way to answer this question, but I think for me, I listening, Anson Dorrance does a really good job answering that question. Um, Gene Oriema does a really good job answering that question. For me, I would say the main differences is there are athletic differences. I mean, you're, I, I joke with, I was talking to our girls the other day, actually um, about how soccer is one of the few sports where, there's no dimensional difference to the game. Like basketball, you have a smaller ball, volleyball, the net's shorter, uh, softball and baseball, two completely different thing. And so it, it's one of those things where soccer dimensionally has no differences. And so when you're coaching the field and the game and things like that, you're dealing with shorter, less, less athletic people at times. And you have to adjust the game in that way with those stipulations I don't, I mean, coach, I coach guys and girls pretty quickly in succession mentally. They're honestly not too different from my personal experience. I'm sure other people have different experiences, but like I had, I have girls on this team that are tougher than any guy I've ever coached. I have girls on this team that are not as tough as many of the guys I've coached. I had guys up at St. Mary's that were mentally some of the strongest people I know. And I had guys on that same team that were mentally some of the weakest people I know. And so I think that those types of differences aren't, hasn't been as significant or um, obvious for me. I think the biggest thing for me and the difference between the men's and the women's game is the men's game is a little bit faster. I talk about it with uh, our men's coach all the time in the women's game, especially at our level, if you are more athletic than the other team, you win uh, almost all your soccer games. It just at this level, that's, that's kind of the way it is. Whereas men's side athletically, they tend to cancel each other out. There's, being the fastest person isn't really a huge advantage in the men's game where I think in the women's game, I think that's, it's a, it's a lot bigger of an advantage. And so I would say the, the way I'd answer that long 
answer your short question is I say athletically it's it's different. I think other things it, it really doesn't in my experience hasn't really changed that much. Well, that's a good answer, man. And it's it's something that I don't know why people think it's such an important question, but I always get asked that because I have experience coaching boys and girls and, and that's usually the first question that comes out of somebody's mouth is, oh, what's the difference between coaching boys and girls? It's like, well, yeah. that, that's, it really doesn't matter no. is, well, <laughs> is, is what my go-to answer is. Yeah, it, no, it's true. And like, I, I, and I'm sure you could do the same thing. Like every coach kind of has a list of like, if I asked you to name like your top five, your top 10 favorite players you've ever coached, I imagine it's a mix of both. Mine is easily a mix of both. Like I have, I've coached high school boys. I've coached college guys. I've coached college women. And if you asked me to create like a top 10 kids I've ever coached, it might be five and five. Like it would be like, it would be the biggest mix of like I, that of guys and girls. Like it just, there's to me, it's, it's, it's fun in very, very different ways. And, but both of them are, I mean, soccer is just a fun, I mean, we have the coolest job ever. Like, I mean, like we get to do a sport every single day. Like how do you, it's also like one of those things that where you, you put in perspective, like we're like a super dumbed down entertainment. Like it's like Coliseum type stuff. Like people come for entertainment and at division three women's soccer level, like we're obviously a very dumbed down version of that, but like we get to do entertainment for a living. Like that's our, that's our job. And it, when I'm when I'm struggling and I'm losing recruits or losing games, I that's always one of those things where like I try to like put it in perspective. Like I get to do a game for a living. Like this isn't that bad. Uh, it's always it's always good to kind of step back and and think about the bigger picture. I think we we can get lost in in the in the hecticness and 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 everything um, very easily. And I guess that's a good transition for for what we were texting about last night because I think. Uh, there's coaches that are, you know, so wrapped up in the social media world. And I think lately what it's kind of gotten to and what a lot of people have pointed out recently is that, uh, you know, it seems like coaches wake up every morning and, and are looking to go pick a fight on social media these days. Yeah. And it's, it's very strange. It's and especially it's one of those things because it's so out there and so obvious nowadays it's it's so readily available to everyone and i was i was talking uh, with someone the other day about this where twitter and instagram and everything it becomes so easy to pick fights because you never have to talk to that person or look them in the eye yep if, if you never have to look someone in the eye it's easy to say really mean things to them because it's you have no idea how they are as a person and it, the thing that's really bugged me recently about the dynamic of the social media is it seems much and much less about helping each other out and more about like who has the biggest stick. And for me, like I remember, like, and this is a great example about a, a year or two ago, I was looking for someone had started mentioning rondos uh, and now it's a huge uh, like topic. And I remember thinking, I was like, I, I was afraid to ask the question, like, what can someone explain this to me? Because every time I saw someone start to maybe answer that question, and maybe I was looking at the wrong people. I'm sure there were plenty of people out there that would actually answer that question and be really excited too. But it was like, oh, you don't know what that is. Like it was like this sense of like, oh, well, I'm smarter than you. Like I don't have to explain. Like, you don't. You should know this. Like how do you not know this? You're an idiot. And like you see it. Like not like yesterday. I saw it the other day where someone was. I forget the exchange completely to be honest, but it was something along the lines was someone was talking about half spaces and. 
it, it, like in half space, I'm sure everyone has a very different definition, but like most people it's from the outside of the D to the core of the 18 or somewhere in that capacity where you try to get people in spots that they're not naturally at to overload and find pockets of space. But someone would legitimately using it as like a space between lines, which if his girls understand that or his guys, whoever he's coaching understand that, whatever. It, it, but the, they were having this exchange back and forth. And I wanted to be like, the person that was saying like, Oh, those are two completely different things. The other guy was like legitimately asking like, what is your definition of a half space? And the guy never gave an answer. I'm like, just can someone tell him? Like I almost chimed in. It was like, here's a link to an article that will explain it better than I could. But it becomes such an environment that it is not productive for coaches that want to get better, especially in America where we need to get a lot better as coaches it, it's become an environment where we're not helping people. It, we're using it as a way to put ourselves on top of other people. And it's just, it's, a, it's been really weird recently. And again, this is, I hear this a phrase in America all the time, like not all, hashtag not all. But like, so it's definitely not all coaches, but it, it's a lot of them where it's become, it's become so toxic that it's been, it bugs me a little bit. I've, I've um, purposely removed myself from that type of interaction with, uh, with people on social media, specifically like coaches and these, you know, the buzzwords and, and whatnot. If I ever post anything about it, I, I'm usually just like poking fun at people that, yeah. that are like so wrapped up in it. But, um, what I, what I kind of just do is I sit back and I observe like the people that like to take a hard stance on things and like to present themselves as experts on certain, certain topics, various topics. And what I never see, Nick, what I what I absolutely never see is somebody using footage of their own teams to educate other people. Like yeah. I, I, I never see somebody like in that whole whatever half space um, BS thing. I, I honestly didn't pay close attention to it the other day, but I did. I did notice it, too. Not one coach chimed in with a video of their own team and how their team uses half spaces. It was all yeah. it was all just. Blah, 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 blah. But no, no proof of anybody, you know, showing that their teams actually execute anything. So what that leads me to believe is that these guys are just blowing smoke all over the place. And, yes. and, and it's just, it, it becomes a total waste of time. And so I, I tend to tune out anybody that doesn't show, um, any of their own work, I guess yes. is the best way to, to put that. And it's really been a way to find the people who are really good at it. Like I, one of the, and I'll give him a shot right now because I've really enjoyed this stuff. He's so transactional. I should give two shots to people. Um, Ellis Riley, who um, has been doing it. Like, he puts so much content out there, not only his training sessions, his, like different, like he, he's the one that always posts, like here's a, a scenario, give an idea. Like they, they do that a lot with soccer IQ. And I love it. Cause it's, it's, it's transparent. He puts himself out there in the same way you do in the same way we do. We're like, we're, you're giving yourself up for criticism, which is good because the problem that we have is I don't think people combat enough with ideas anymore. They combat with rhetoric. They combat with so many other things, but they don't combat with ideas. Like if you have something that's better, like I post something and you have something that's better than that, please tell me. Cause I don't want to keep screwing this up. Like, and Sarah Loudon's another one where like she will put, so much content out there where the leaving yourself completely open to criticism, to praise, to whatever. And it requires certain coaches to be very vulnerable, but it also the benefit of someone doing that, like you said, is if you get that stuff out there, we can have real conversations about it. If it's just like, what's 
your definition of Rondo? What's your definition of half space? What's your definition of playing between lines? It's like, these are all really every and everything happens. Like it's the same thing when you talk with college coaches, the word culture is the biggest buzzword in the history of buzzwords. And it's, we have all these buzzwords right now that I don't think if you pulled 80% of coaches in the United States would have any clue or 80% of the answers would completely different. I've never in my almost 15 years of coaching, I've never used the word half space in a training session with any of my teams. And I really I, had to Google it. <laughs> no, but it just goes to show it's like, it's, it's so, it's so pointless, like to, to argue about that type of stuff. Like it, it, it doesn't mean something to everybody. And it's not, it's not a necessary concept for, <laughs> uh, for success in every environment. And a lot of times coaches are so wrapped up in the buzzwords and, and you know, the, uh, like the hipster way of coaching. Like this is the new fresh thing. When I interviewed Raymond, what did he, he called it? Um, uh, flavor of the month. Yeah. Um, I think, and it was ironic too, that, that <laughs> it's actually funny that we're talking about social media feuds and, and I'm going to bring this up, but Raymond used the same phrase that Tom Byer used, which was flavor of the month. And Tom and, and Raymond had their own little feud on social media, Yeah, they do. um, which is just, that that's total coincidence. But, um, but yeah, so like coaches get so wrapped up in that flavor of the month, the new shiny toy, like those types of things. And, and they, completely forget about the most important things, which are just the basics, just the yes. absolute basics. Like you, like if your team can't connect five passes in a row, fuck half space. Like you don't need to work on half space. You need to work on keeping possession of the ball. And, yeah. and, and that's a basic principle. So you're, you're, you're trying to, you know, go from step A to Z with, by skipping over, you know, B, C, yeah. D, E. And, and you're probably, you know, that's probably where you should be. You should probably be hanging out next to A, B and C. Yeah. Well, it's funny. That was like one of the biggest, I, I don't, I'm one of those coaches that I very rarely lay into our players. The only one of the few times that I, I laid into one of our players this year, she walks off the field and she's like, coach, I don't think this formation work. And I go, Mac, we're not, we're not passing to the white jerseys. There's no formation that could solve this right now. Um, but it is one of those things, like you said, where, and the other thing that sincerely bugs me about the way we talk about soccer in the United States is, that there's a one-step solution for everyone uh -huh. it's and if you like i'm sorry like and maybe this might be one of the more sacrilege things i say to most people on this thing my team is i don't is never going to look like man city i'm sorry like it's just not going to happen i can do similar concepts and build out of the back but like if you look at who wins on different levels i mean man city i would say is one of the best examples over in england right now uh i mean real madrid and barca are obviously fighting for the top of that one the bundesliga you have Dortmund, you have uh Bayern, and things like that all of, all of them have like similar concepts but slightly different styles but like then you go watch the college cup with this past year with florida state and it was one of my favorite things to watch as a women's coach because kikorian i i, I want to say kikorian I, I hopefully i'm not butchering his name i've never heard it out loud so if he ever hears this i'm, I'm not intentionally butchering your name i loved what you did he is soccer naturally if you're going to attack out of the back you attack with your outside backs he flipped it on its head they attacked with their center backs the entire game and it was for both the I, north carolina did a better job starting in the final uh because i think anson got a got to see it and is a brilliant guy and figured it out but 
the in the semifinal, like they made the number one team in the country, Stanford, look not good at soccer because they couldn't solve the fact that they were attacking with their center backs. Like, do I think that Liverpool is suddenly going to start doing that with Virgil Van Dyke? No, like it's, it's not going to happen. But at that level, that won them a national title, and it's different, and it's okay to be different because he figured out a way to to do it at his level and still be successful. And that's the thing I. I dislike about the way we talk about soccer a lot is that what's good for you 13 kids is good for you 17 kids is good for the top level of division one soccer is good for the MLS is good for the rest of the professional world. Like, no, there's different things that work. And the thing that bugs me a lot when I go to watch like high school teams play, for example, there are so many coaches that I, I think would rather say they play out of the back than actually teach how to play out of the back. Like they'll, like they'll send their two outside backs wide. They'll put their center backs on the corners of the 18, give or take, and then they'll play out wide. And it, it looks like they've never taught their team what that looks like. Like, what are the next options? Like, okay, we got to our outside back. What's next? And that's the part that I, I think we get so caught up in is it's almost better to say, oh, we play out of the back, as opposed to like actually teaching why it's beneficial to or why it's good sometimes, actually, like there's a great situation. Man City plays like that all the time on goal kicks. And then there was one play where Ederson plays a 60-yard ball on the dime to Aguero where he goes and scores. Like It's like there's there's reasons and rhyme to do everything, but you have to show them solutions. Just don't say you're playing out of the back to say you play out of the back. Hey, sit tight. We are going to hear a quick message from our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. Bounce Athletics are offering you an additional 10% discount just for listening to this. Hey, sit tight. We are going to hear a quick message from our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. Bounce Athletics are offering you an additional 10% discount just for listening to this episode of the 343 podcast. When I spoke to Zach, the co-founder of Bounce Athletics, he mentioned one of the most common problems that coaches and players and teams have when it comes to their training equipment. This is what he had to say. Finding goals that are portable, um, that can be moved from environment to environment quickly and perform just as well on grass as they do on turf as they do on hardwood or, or wherever you're at. Thankfully, that problem has been solved thanks to the Dynamo goals made by Bounce Athletics. They have revolutionized people's training sessions. For those that don't know, they're a three by five, all aluminum frame. They fold flat in like five seconds and they... You pop them back up in a couple seconds. The moment I saw the Dynamo goals in action, I was totally convinced that these were the best goals on the market. And since using the Dynamo goals, I haven't even touched the other goals that I have had for years. And I was curious about who else was already using these. So I asked Zach, and here's what he had to say. Everything from recreational programs that are using them for their 3v3 and 4v4 to college and pro teams that have 20 of them. 343 listeners get an additional 10% discount when you mention the 343 podcast. Just email info at Bounce Athletics to begin the order process. All right, let's get back to the show. Well, I, I want to go, I want to, I want to backtrack and mention something that came to my mind when you were talking about attacking with your center backs. There's a clip floating around on social media right now, and I'm sure people can just Google it and find it of when Bielsa was coaching the national team, uh, the Chilean national team, and he used Gary Medell as, as a center back who's like this five-foot-nothing guy, you know, but he's a beast. And um, he, I, I, if, I, if I remember correctly, 
has always been like a, a center mid, defensive center mid, and an authority in the midfield. And then Bielsa wanted those characteristics in the back line. So he used he used that player in the back line. Well, the clip that's floating around right now is Gary Medell going all the way up with the ball through the midfield using combination play and then going and scoring a goal. And so it's like <laughs> like like you kind of said, like, you know, flipping it on its head. And and so in a lot of ways, that's what Bielsa's done so many different times. It's like flipped everything on its head and it's worked. And so he's he's kind of done things differently throughout the course of uh, his coaching career, and it's inspired so many different coaches, Pep and and Pochettino, Mourinho, like all the guys, right? Um, yeah. And uh, he he's flipped it on its head, but he's also had like these like these core principles, these guiding principles that that really dictate and and showcase what he wants out of the teams. And so he can move around in formations. He can move, you know, players around into different positions, but he's always going to want to keep the ball. He's always going to want to apply high pressure when he doesn't have it. And those are just two very, very key and core principles that he has. Now that, you know, three, five, two or four, three, three or whatever, like all that shit can change. But, yes. uh, you know, it's, it's those having those like core principles, I think, that a lot of times teams or coaches lack here in the United States. Like they don't really have like a guiding light or a North star that's going to dictate, uh, you know, their style or their identity. And and they think that comes from a formation or comes from something else, but it's, it's like, no, like you need to, you need to really go back to, uh, I guess what you kind of ended uh, that last little segment on is, you know, why, why am I going to build out of the back? Why do I need to play this short pass? Or why do I need to play this 60-yard bomb on a goal kick? Like, what's the why behind that? And and, yep. and that's where, yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of coaches are just are, are are missing the mark on that. Well, and I, I didn't think we'd go here, but, like, one of the things that I am really passionate about when I talk about our U.S. men's national team is, and, again, I've been a fan since I was born. Like, it's, I've seen, like, every like every World Cup, and obviously didn't see this last one, um, but I've, I've <laughs> seen them play for a really long time. But it, the thing that's really bugged me the more I've gotten into coaching is the word the word that you pop, that popped on me that you said was identity. I when, when you watch the Brazil national team play, when you watch the Spain national team play, when you watch Italy back in 2006 when they won, when you watch France and Brazil in 98 and 2002, you could tell what they were trying to do, what their identity was. And for as long as I've been a U.S. men's national team fan, I don't know what our identity is. Are we a low-pressure team? Are we a high-pressure team? Are we a possession team? Are we a counterattacking team? There's so many different ways that you can – identify yourself and you just mentioned a bunch a bunch with Bielsa I've never been able to figure out like like what we're doing like like to quote Taylor Twelman like what are we doing I don't know so many times because the amount like I'll watch these games and I'll be able to watch certain national teams play and know exactly what their identity is what their purpose is and unfortunately the United States it's been a hodgepodge of a bunch of things. It's like, we're going to, we're going to do a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of this. And it's never to me been successful. Well, it hasn't been successful, but it's, it's been, it's been difficult as a coach to really get behind because I still don't know what we're doing. I think the best way to describe the U S men's national team and even the women's national team to a certain extent, even though they've had, you know, much more success like trophy wise, Yep. Um, 
I don't even know why I had to qualify that. The women, the women's team is just much more successful than the men's team, just period. Uh, but the 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 best way to describe them is just blue collar, like hard workers. Like th- that's kind of like the identity that they've that they've set up for themselves. And I think it's a cop out to be honest. Like it's it's like yeah. what like what is hard working? Like like how is that your identity? Like oh, of course you're gonna work hard. Like yeah. you're you're wearing the national team jersey. You should be expected to work hard. That shouldn't be the identity. Are you, ta- are you no, telling wait. me that Spain isn't working hard? I don't understand. Bernardo Silva covers like 11 miles a game. Like that dude's working harder than anyone that we got. Yeah, no. And it, it, it kind of, we've talked about it before. And when I say we just on, on the podcast, um, you know, the, the U S men's national team hasn't really had that. Even, even like that blue collar, hardworking identity, you know, since 2002, maybe a little yeah. bit in 2006, but like throughout the nineties, I, 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 I can think back and I can you remember some of the games that, that I watched as a kid growing up and through high school. And I remember seeing like, Oh yeah, like these guys do like work, work hard. Like they are, you know, blue collar type guys. That is their identity. And, and I kind of can, justify it in a way yeah but when i think about the last cycle like no way like those guys weren't blue collar like the so you can't even justify that identity for that last cycle and what pops out is you know the guys being carried over the puddles and yes. and just being just like little sissies to be honest like like i'll, yeah. I'll say it i don't care uh, no. <laughs> and, and so it's like that even that blue collar identity is gone so i think we're you know, especially after these two most recent friendlies with Burhalter having the first camp and and not having a coach for so long and missing the last World Cup, I think you know the the identity that we have now is probably best described as identity crisis. Like, what the fuck yes. are we? <laughs> and that's and that's the problem. I think when we going back to kind of teams and everything, I think that that's one of the things that but you you talked about and we we I talked about a little bit the why like your team has to have a common purpose and common ideas and common values that really drive you And it. To be honest, I can even talk to my own spirits. Like as a new coach and being my first head coaching job here at the college level, trying to figure out what you want takes some time too, because I, it, it involves some experimenting. I'm sure you've done this as well, where like you kind of have to figure out like what, like you talked about it a little bit on our podcast, like your guiding force to getting to the three, four, three guys where it's like you had to figure out what your core values are as a coach and then figure out how you can make that a part of the game of soccer and instill that in your players. It's just, it, it's, it's hard because until we, the coach figures out what they want to do and, and I, then you're never going to have it within the players. And I think that that's, one of the issues with national teams in general, because I mean, if you look, there's a reason that we haven't had a team go back to back World Cups since Brazil back with in in Pele's days. It, it just the amount of coaching turnover for every single country at the national team level is is just it's insane. Um, and so I think that that's one of the things that I, I do like about kind of the environment that I'm in as a coach. I'm never going to be the national team coach. I, I I left that goal a long time ago, but I think for. Uh, <laughs> at the college level, I think it's cool because you can, you can do it and you can have programs like Anson's. You can have programs like Gene Oriamas. You can have programs like Tennessee's women's basketball with Pat Summit and like programs that last a really long time because your values 
can stand the test of a few years. And even if it ha- you have one off year, your your values and everything that drives you and your team can, if you do a good job, can actually guide you for a really long time. And that's one of the biggest things that I respect about Anson. And people will talk crap on him and saying, you know, it's not, it's not uh, pretty soccer. It's not. Um, you know, it's it, it it won't work on the global stage and things like that because he's using like NCAA rules to his advantage with the subbing and things like that. Yeah. It's like okay, beat him. Go ahead and beat him. Yeah. Prove it. Pro- prove that. Prove that you can beat him. And, yes. and he uh, he has no no shame whatsoever. He's very proud and of, of what he's built and rightfully so. And um and 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 he has you know principles that have guided yeah. him throughout his entire coaching career and he's stuck to those principles and he's figured out a way to make it work and to win and to be ultra successful. And, yeah. and, and the funny thing to me is people will, will whine and complain and criticize. It's like, okay, go beat him. Go ahead. Go try. And that's, that's where I, I think deviate from a lot of soccer people were like, I would definitely, I would never identify myself as a soccer purist. Like I, I like, I, I, I like winning. I like sports. I like, if there's a way to win the game within the rules of the games and doing it in the right way, I would rather do that than make the the game look great all the time. And I think that that's where we get so caught up in, and I think it's a, a global thing where we get so caught up in sometimes of making the game look good. And yeah, like, no, like there's a reason you want the game to look good. It's because looking good typically leads to success, but looking good at the sacrifice of success isn't worth anything. I mean, and that's where I don't like Gino Ram. I've said his name a few times, but he's one of the people I, I, I love cross sports stuff. I, I really think we can learn a lot from different sports and different coaches. Hey, so, and did, I love, so did Bruce arena. That didn't work out too yeah. good for him. Yeah. no. But one of the things he talks about all the time is like when he's talking to his, uh, his team and his women, he's just like, oh, well, are they ever going to, if you go to a play, are they ever going to screw up their lines? Are they ever going to No, like you're paying to, for that team to perform at a very high level and look good doing it. But one can't be at the sacrifice of the other. Like you have to ultimately at the end of the game, winning games is more important than looking good. And that's where I, that's one thing I've always liked about answer because like they, they still do that three, four, three, they still sub like crazy. They still, their forwards are the hardest working people in, in the college game, which is impressive from forwards. And I think that that's one of the things where I think people miss the plot a little bit when they're talking about people like him and other styles that they don't necessarily love the appeal of them. Like no one really, I don't think particularly loved Italy style back in 2006 when they won the world cup. Cause it was a four, four, two, very defensive minded. Their forwards like Luca Tony and um, who is the, I forget the other one, but they weren't like the prettiest type of forwards, but they got goals, you know, like it's, it's people like I think get so caught up in everything and forget that ultimately the the goal of every sport is to win. And again, at lower levels as in development, obviously like that needs to some wins need to be sacrificed for development of players. But at the highest levels, like my 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 AD, if I like walked up to him, and be like, hey, like we lost that game, but like we we we're, we're, we looked really good doing it. He'd be like, okay, like if you keep doing that you're not going to have a job here. And it's, it is one of those things where I think that people just like, especially the high levels, it's they, they get caught up in things that don't matter when at the end of the game, like the goal of sports is to win sports. 
No, winning, winning absolutely matters. And it's something I'm passionate about. And I bring up quite a bit actually. And I would probably differ from, from something that you just said where, you know, sacrificing a win for development. It's like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I would sacrifice a win ever. Um, but I think that if you're developing players properly, that winning is a natural byproduct of that. And of course, you know, you're, it's a sport, you know, shit happens. You, you, you can lose games. You probably, you absolutely will lose games at some point, but if proper development is taking place, you should be winning more often than you're losing. And, Correct. And, no, and you're 100% right. And that's where like, you have to, as a coach, you have to be able to understand like what the purpose of the game is like, it, because it, it, beginning of the season is different than end of the season. Um, different parts of your development. It, like, And again, if your goal is to be, to do something over a span of four years where maybe we sacrifice some games their freshman year to get to the point where we're developing the right principles to get them when they're junior and senior year, that's where it's really, it's going to all come together. You're 100% right. That's where, again, I think I, I probably was too um, narrow in what I, in what I was saying where it, it, there's definitely a very important part of the development that can't be overlooked. I didn't, I didn't want to put you in a corner there, but I, I had to make oh, sure that, no, I, that, I, that I stood my ground. No, but that's perfect. Like, that's why, like, and that's where we were kind of talking about earlier. Like I, coaches should want to be challenged. Like they, like, that's like, if I, if you don't say that to me and it don't make me qualify what I was talking about or think about maybe why my answer wasn't the best answer in the entire world, like then I'm going to keep thinking the same thing. And it's pro it could be wrong again. Like I'm 30 years old. Like I'm not like, I'm so far from a finished product in terms of coaching, but if, if I'm not open to being challenged and your people like you aren't willing to challenge ideas, like then we're all going to end up the same idiots that we were when we were 30 years old. <laughs> that's a good, that's a very good way to put it. Um, w- one of the reasons why I, I do get so passionate about that product or um, product, what was I going to, I'm, I'm, yeah, I need, the to, development. I need to clear my, clear my head. Um, why I get so passionate about that, that particular buzzword, like development, uh, is people use it as like a, like a cop out, like, like, Oh yeah. Like we develop players here. It's like, no, you guys are, you're losers. Like, <laughs> like quit, quit, quit recruiting players to your program, telling them that you're going to develop them when year after year after year, you guys, you guys just lose. Like that's not development. And, and I think that there's a big difference if people were to go to like, to go look at Ajax, you know, yeah. perennial developers, but they're also perennial winners too. Like they win everything at the youth level. They win, you know, the, the, um, their, their first division on a regular basis. Like they, they win and they develop players. That's proper development. And, yes. and so people that are using the word development in place of winning, really irks me it gets under my skin so much and I, and I hate to see parents get kind of suckered into different environments and and whatnot you know based on on the buzzwords and, and how coaches can sell that like oh it's okay to it's okay to lose a few games because we're developing like no get out of here yeah like figure out a way to do that simultaneously like, exactly and again, like at the youth level like 
it, like because I, I Sean who I work with talks about because he was coaching um youth soccer for a while and like he would play teams and especially I think he was coaching like UA kids and it, there there's naturally going to be people that put their fastest people the tallest most athletic people at top in those games and like you, you if you don't have athletic kids at eight years old like it's hard to to deal with those kids but like there is a point where like at a certain age group where, because I think what you're talking about when they say like development, like it's like, it's a lot of, it's like the pre high school slash early high school, like somewhere between 11 and 15 when they really talk about, Oh, we're going to develop your players. And it's like, yeah, well, I think you were the one that and I, hopefully I'm not wrong in this, but so, ta- commented on a tweet or tweeted yourself where someone had said something along the lines where like, at some point you have to realize winning is still important in development. Like, mm-hmm. I, th- I don't remember if it was you specifically, but there was something I saw on social media the other day where they talk about at some point you have to realize that winning at some point is a crucial part of the development process. Uh, I don't know if it was me or not, but I, I definitely agree with that. Like learn, like yeah. learning, learning how to win is important to becoming a winner. Like, yes, like, you know, the kind of, oh, that's going to open up another can of worms, but like like learning like the savviness and stuff that you kind of learn in street soccer or pickup soccer or pickup basketball, um, those types of things, like learning how to win and be crafty and creative in, in, in that aspect is important to becoming a winner. Like, and, and, you know, if you are learning how to lose because you're, you, you know, you're so focused on development or you're so focused on, you know, being, you know, making sure everything fits nicely into a certain box. Um, yeah. You know, then you're learning how to lose. I would rather learn how to win. I don't know too many players that grew up in environments where they lost all the time that were simultaneously being developed. Like I can't imagine, like, I got, like, I'm sure you've done this too. Like, like I've read biographies of a lot of professional soccer players, footballers, overseas people like Steven Gerrard and Wayne Rooney and a few other ones where it's like, they were scoring 10 goals a game during their development process. Like they were, and they were winning a lot of games too. So there, were, it, there is a, there, there is a, a connection between those two. And again, it's not always going to be obvious. And they, especially in areas where there's a little bit more disparity, kind of like we talked about on our podcast, where there's certain areas that it's difficult to get all the talented kids to stay in the same club in the same program. But there, I mean, it is, it is one of those things where like, I've never, I, there's not, I can't imagine there's a ton of stories where a person who ended up being successful long-term lost like 90% of their games for sake of development growing up. Like they probably found a way to win at some point. 100%. And, and I've had the very fortunate experience to go over and watch the kids at Barcelona play at La Masia um, I, I've, I've had the chance to watch, you know, a handful of, of other top, top level academies. And it's like, yeah, they're, they're playing good soccer, but the number one priority is, is to win. Like it's like, yeah. it, like it, they're not hiding it. Like they, they want to win and they will smash you 15 to zero. Yeah. Or, or they're, co- yeah. And that's the other thing I like about like watching some of the scores overseas is like, I don't like, I, I, maybe the parents are freaking out of there, but I don't see, I don't, it doesn't seem like I'm seen a lot of like if their team loses 15 and nothing like if that happened in the united states oh my god everyone would be like up in arms and like i that coach would be like put on blast on social media and everything else like it, it would be it would be like the biggest story like so like if so anytime there's a big like high school win or something like it's one of the number one stories in sports where like all oh, a team just won 150 to nothing it's like, <laughs> like 
I'm not like maybe that coach could have like calmed the dogs a little bit, but like again, at the end of the day, like I, I wouldn't, I would personally would never like murder a team that bad, probably. But like it, it is one of those things where it's like over over there, it's just it's it's the culture. It's like yeah, like if you don't want to lose fifteen nothing, get better. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> hey, uh, I I want to make sure I talk about your guys' podcast and, and a question I actually wanted to ask you is, is how did you guys come up with this idea for uh, I, I, soccer chat, chat soccer? I don't know which way you guys prefer to say it. Um, how, how did you guys come up with this idea to start this, you know, amazing conversation with coaches, uh, uh, you know, across the world, I'm, I'm assuming, yeah. but you know, especially here in the United States, but yeah, how did you guys come up with that, with that, that idea and, and what has it kind of snowballed into? So how the story behind it is actually Sean uh, got in touch with uh, social media for the high school athlete who actually sponsors our podcast. And it, they, I think they, they, there's all these like hog football chat, football chat, like uh, there's, there's a lot of different ones that people would use and they were using this format. And Sean suggested that he would run the one for soccer chat if they would be willing to get behind us a little bit. So we did it. And honestly, the first little stretch of it it was it took like with anything it takes a little while to get going me and sean aren't like like i i feel jealous probably feel like mark felicic just started a podcast i'm sure it's crushing you know like because like who doesn't want to hear christian bliss's dad talk about soccer um i mean like we didn't have a ton of connections and things like that so a lot of our connections have come through other people that know people and one day, like we were, I, I had gotten on, uh, the soccer chat on the Wednesday nights from a friend, Sam Schrader. I saw him respond to, it. I was like, what's going on? So I popped on and it was maybe like six or seven people. And we were all talking and me and Sean have similar sense of humor and we're just shooting gifs back and forth or gif whoever, whoever pronounces it, whatever way. And, uh, about three weeks after doing it, he's like, Hey, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. You want to do it? Cause he had asked the social media people. He's like, Hey, like, would you, would you be interested in sponsoring our podcast? And they're like, is that something that people listen to? It's like all the time. Like the amount of people that listen to podcasts is absolutely insane. And so they're like, yeah, for sure. And so me and him started it. And again, like it started with just us, like our freaking first episode was just us talking. And then we started doing interviews and it, it just kind of snowballed. We, we were, we've been really fortunate where, we have so many guests that are willing to share their friends with us where, and I'm sure you probably experienced this too, where someone will have someone on the show and then they'll be like, Oh, well you need to interview this person. And they'll be like the, a big person. And so like, that's how we got connected with Randy Walder and we're interviewing Becky Burleigh in a week, uh, like, like in a few weeks. And so like, we've been able to get connected for just because of the really awesome network that we build. And so when we went to the, uh, convention this year. I'd never actually been to a convention before. It was really cool just because like we have all these people that I would, you would call friends around the country, like the Papillonis and uh, like just all these different people that you never actually met in person before you see them the first time. You're like, okay, we've talked way too much to have never met. And like you get a go up and give them a big hug because like, it's like your friend that you just haven't seen in a really long time. And so it, it really has turned into something where for us, it was like, um, and we, we talked about the, like, we're like with the Dictic stuff with, uh, Adelaide and Tiff, like they had, like, I, when I applied for their thing, I, my answer was, I, I'm not good, great at this yet, but I want to be a person that connects people. I think that that's because I like talking and I like making friends and I like just interacting with people. I think that that's something that I want to be really, really good at. And I think that this platform as this podcast has allowed us to, in the Wednesday night chats have allowed us to connect 
people with other people, like the amount of people that have gotten jobs from people they've met on soccer chat. Like we've got, we've hooked up like three people with GA jobs and like a few assistant coaching jobs. And so it's been pretty cool because we, we've been able to use this as a platform to just get people in touch with people that might not necessarily, cause it's like, you know, if you're a young coach, it's a hard environment to navigate and it's hard to get connected with people that can hopefully give you your next spot. If you don't have a way or an idea of how to do that. And so for us, it's been really cool because there's been a lot of young coaches that have really been able to get connected through this. And that's been the coolest part for us has been able to be able to meet so many unbelievable people like you and everyone else we've been able to get connected with, but also to, to connect those people with a million other people. And, and and that's really been kind of the small story and the coolest part about what we've been able to do. Where, uh, where can people find you on social media and where can people find the, the podcast and also, uh, and also join the conversations that you guys, that you guys do on Wednesdays? Yep. So, um, my Twitter handle is at coach N Rizzo and Rizzo's R I Z Z O like the Cubs player. And then how to follow like the soccer chat on Wednesdays. So, you type in on every Wednesday night, depending, it's 8.30 central time. Uh, pop on there and just look up the hashtag soccer chat, exactly how it sounds. And we'll post anywhere from five to seven questions. Respond with that and you'll get connected with a lot of amazing people. And then um, how to find our podcast. Uh, just go to, I say the best place to find it. Sean posts, an um, does an unbelievable job posting on like how to click through it, but at chat soccer and soccer is spelled S O C C R. Uh, Cause someone already had the chat soccer uh, handle. So we had to, we had to adjust that one a little bit, but you can find that there. Like, and again, if please reach out to us, me and Sean are, really easy to get a hold of. We're very, very active on Twitter and we love talking to everyone. So if you, if you hear this and you decide that, that guy's not that much of an idiot and you want to talk to us, well, uh, we, we'd love to have a conversation. Hey Rizzo, I have a, I have a challenge for you. Yeah. Um, and I, I had completely forgot that I had done this five or six years ago, but I wanted to do something similar, like get people to answer one specific question and to, you know, everybody posts their, their answer to it. But I challenged people to record a video of themselves talking out loud to their phone or their camera, or whatever, their computer, and then post the video because, you know, there's a big difference between talking naturally to, you know, to the camera versus typing your ideas. And I want to challenge you to to answer one of your chat soccer questions via video i like that a lot like i because like we we talk about all the time like it's hard to in 280 characters it's hard to answer the question thoroughly enough to get all the the qualifiers that you want out there i think that's a good idea i'll definitely i'll do that next, i'll do that next one and, and you know just to kind of expand on that on that thought when people want to give a definition for you know, something, you know, a buzzword or whatever, like it's going to be, it would be funny to see everybody submit a video about, you know, what's your definition of technical quality? Like, okay, everybody, you know, give, give your take and it's going to, it would be so, it would be so different. There'd be so many different takes on, on that definition. What is technical quality? Like, wow. Okay, here we go. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Next week. 
challenge challenge on. I, I love it. I I think that I think that, that I hope that takes off because like like you said, I think that in the same way you talked about in the beginning about people not putting out their sessions enough and things like that, or, or not using sessions to answer questions. Maybe not, you didn't say you use it, uh, set, put them on enough, but I think that that's a way that it, it's going to make people really think a little bit more of their answers. And I, I like it. I think that that could be really cool. It also goes back to what you mentioned too earlier. It's, it, it, it actually humanizes people. So when you see somebody on video and you hear their voice and you kind of see their mannerisms, all of a sudden it's not a Twitter handle. Like this is a human being that you're interacting with. And, and so you, you're not going to, I assume you're you're not going to, you know, lob the insults and and be as argumentative and and things like that. If it was, you know, a video video format versus just typing words on a keyboard. Yeah. And and again, hopefully, hopefully people, and again, we, the nice thing about for anyone that hasn't been on this Wednesday night chats, people are very, very cordial on here. We've had maybe one instance where someone gets in a little in a little bit of a spat and that's been over a year and almost two years now and so people are very very cordial so if you're if you're in it but like no i love that idea that's gonna i hope that takes off with other people because i i I think that again we don't get to see each other ever so i think it'd be be like you're like why why people i think are so attached to um like video chats when they're conversing with people on the phone now because it again it allows you to see someone that you might not get to see all the time i think that'd be pretty cool yeah all right man uh 53 minutes later i think we covered quite a bit i think people are are going to be into this conversation so uh actually i need to ask you one more question do you have do you have like two more minutes or three more minutes oh yeah i'm I'm not doing anything so i uh i always end every interview with the same question what do people need to know so from uh from your vantage point over there in the in the middle of america um what do what do people need to know i would say the biggest thing people need to know is right now and the way the climate is around everything the biggest thing i would encourage people to know is be willing to be vulnerable challenge challenge be willing to have people challenge you and be willing to challenge others with your ideas don't don't put yourself in a hole or live in an echo chamber where you're only going to hear the things that you want to hear. Um, there's a great quote, I think it was John Wooden, where it's surround yourselves with br- a brilliant people that will argue with you. And it, I think that that's the best advice or the best thing that I would say to everyone out there is right now, like in, in an area where it's so easy to pigeonhole yourself with and around people that are going to tell you everything you need to hear all the time, be willing to surround yourself with people who are going to challenge you with ideas and be willing to allow you to challenge them with ideas. And I think if you do that, no matter what you're doing in soccer, no matter what you're doing in anything else, I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to change your life for the best because you'll, you'll be a person that other people want to be around. Beautiful answer, my friend. Cool. All right. That's all she wrote. Sweet deal, man. Well, I appreciate you having me on, man. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, me too, man. I appreciate you making time. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 Coaching Education Program. His name is Thomas, and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. 
If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review. And I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.